So there's oh. an operation just come out of there. Well, I don't know, what, is that a cat or a dog? No, there's nothing in there. Oh, there's nothing in there. Because <laughs> there would be people in there if there was. I don't think I'm going to get a job there's, here. This week, we've got a rather special walking the dog for you. It's someone my dog is obsessed by, it's someone I'm quite obsessed by, and it's someone I've heard even the Queen is a bit obsessed by. My guest on this very special edition of Walking the Dog is the wonderful Noel Fitzpatrick, also known as Supervet. I went down to Noel's practice in Surrey, the one you see on the telly, to meet him and his adorable border terrier called Kira. She's named after Kira Knightley. And it was everything I dreamed it would be, except for the bad breath. That's the Border Terrier, by the way, not Noel. I hope you love my chat with Supervet as much as I love meeting him. He's quite an exceptional man, and he seems genuinely passionate about what he does. If you want a chance, by the way, to find out for yourself, you should go see him on tour. I'm off myself to the O2, and I can't wait. It's called Welcome to My World. It's meant to be an incredible experience, and it's on until November the 25th. You can get tickets at noelfitzpatricklive.com. I'm going to shut up now so you can hear the man himself. Here's Supervet. So I'm in Supervet's office. He's gone into his bedroom and he said, I'm going into my bedroom. You're not allowed in. So that was a bit of a knockback. But there you go. Um, I'm with Kira, his dog. He's coming out. We're going to go for a walk. Here he is. I've got your hats. I've got your scarves. Supervet is just handing this is, this is your hat. the producer and I hats yes. and scarves. And penguin scarves. See, I'm, I, I have all of these things in Narnia, which is behind this door here, uh, where you go to find things that you need when you don't have them. That's your, that's your kind <laughs> of bedroom slash... Yes, you don't want to go in there. You might never come out. It's a giant, it's a giant vortex. It might suck you in and you might never get out again. And do you, you end up sleeping there, do you? Yeah, like you don't. How many nights a week? You don't want to go into the student accommodation inside there. I feel very comfortable in it, but I wouldn't recommend it as a lifestyle. How many nights a week do you sleep in there? It depends there? on how many nights um, I operate late. So okay. it used to be... Um, it used to be five or six nights a week, but now it's probably three or four nights a week. Mm -hmm. uh, it just depends on... I mean, if I finish at two o'clock in the morning, I just, you know, I'm too tired to go home. Yeah. Uh, so it's easier to fall asleep and wake up. That's how dedicated you have are. Have you got a... Uh, I've got a have coat. Have you got everything you need? Yeah, you've got your coat. I've got everything I need. I'm just going to get a scar. Are these animal pills or your pills? Uh, they're my vitamin pills. Oh. Yeah. You must need those, I would uh, imagine. Well, the thing is that I I am um, full on all the time, so... Kira! So Kira's got her water. Right, let's get uh, her lead. Is her lead in the other room? We're going to grab her lead. We're not going to be going in the mud, so we'll go out along the lane. Come on, Kira. So we're with Kira. No, I haven't even introduced a podcast. Maybe I can do that outside. I don't quite know how to say this, but this has been my dream guest for some time. No, well, you're just saying that because you haven't got to know me yet. Good morning. How are you doing? Hello. Okay, in case you're wondering who I'm saying hello to, I better just tell you, I'm only with Supervet. Um, Noel Fitzpatrick, he has got a name. And we're in his practice in Surrey, and it's raining, isn't it, Noel? Yeah. 
And we're with your dog, Kira. Yeah, and she's like, why are you taking me out, Daddy? It's lashing rain. <laughs> and she's like, normally I go out and have a quick pee in the lashing rain and run back into my <laughs> snuggly blanket again. Can I run back in now, she's saying. Well, we're not going to go out for long because it's I'm gonna, absolutely... It's absolutely bucketing down. Yeah. I'm going to need to get a... Uh, I think... She's going to need her little jacket. Do you want to hold her while I go and of get her jacket? Of course I will. So because I'm holding... Because uh, she'll be like, um, okay, okay, where's my coat? Oh, it's really raining. So I think we're going to have to go back inside soon. Come so, on, Bob, put your coat on. Noel's just go. putting Kira's little coat on. There How old go. is Kira now, She's Noel? 11 now. She's 11 and she's a Border Terrier. Yeah, I'll do that. Yes, she's. Uh, she is indeed a Border Terrier, a very fluffy Border Terrier. How did Kira end up in your life? I'm lucky enough to share Kira with, uh, with one of my nurses called Amy. Mm. Because when I'm in theatre for a long period of time, uh, she'll be bursting for a pee. And uh, so uh, fortunately, she has a mummy and a daddy. Yeah. And. Uh, we call parent. That's so uh, so lovely. we decided uh, 11 years ago we both wanted a dog. Mm. And we, uh, we, we thought we'd be okay parents because uh, I was around a lot. Well, basically, Kira always knows where I am. But I wasn't always around to let her out for a pee. Come on, Bubba. You need to have some exercise today, you know? Noel's picking Kira up. So we can, I think. I don't want her to walk if she's not comfortable because it is well, a horrible day. She's actually fine. Uh, she just uh, would rather be curled up on a horrible day like this of inside. Of course. Wouldn't you know? Uh, yeah, I think everybody would. <laughs> I used to be out in this uh, when I was a large animal vet. Yeah. I was out in this morning, noon and night. Uh, so well, I, I grew up in this in Ireland. I was going to say, that's how you started. Yeah. Because I was reading, I want, there's loads I need to talk to you about. I want to, well, you're in the middle of a tour, we should say, which I'm going to ask you all about because I'm very excited and I'm going to c come to it. Are you going to come? Yes, I'm, I'm very excited because I've heard incredible things about it. And I've also read your book, which I loved. Oh, did you read it? Oh, I love it. Did you actually read yeah, it? Yeah, I really did. Well, all of it? Yes. You that's, sound, that's why are you that's surprised? Because uh, very few people that actually talk to me. Oh, there's a me. car coming. That's fine, that's fine. Very few people that actually... Um, talk to me uh, have actually read all of the book really yeah yeah, yeah. come on bub we're going that for a short a walk weird to me we should say where are we no geographically this is near is this not your land as it were anymore this is a, a path near your um so practice. we've just walked off the practice uh, grounds and we're now on halfway lane which is a lane uh which runs between the practice and the town of godalming Come, Come on. on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. No, no, she'll be fine when she gets up a few steps. Okay. She's always like this when it's raining. And oh, she also wanted a poo. poo. That was Let's what was going on. Oh. Yeah, that was, okay, I get it now, right. <laughs> yeah, you just wanted, I, uh, she's the um, boss. Yeah, and, I can uh, do the poo because you're holding it. No, no, it. it's fine. I've got, I've got this poo thing under control. Do you like the I, 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 speci I specialize in, in uh, the acquisition of Kira poo. <laughs> and uh, she very much is the boss in the family and uh, as you can see she just tells me what she wants and that's what gets delivered. Repoo, um, not something I normally say to my interviewees, what, what is the deal if there's a poo coming out of your dog's bum, should you not pull it? Uh, well, um, I'm not an expert in okay. poo pulling, I have to say, <laughs> uh, but I think the technical term is a win it. Uh, when it's hanging on to the bum hair, uh, I think you'll find, if you look up the, uh, the Oxford English Dictionary of Poo Etiquette, 
Uh, I think that's in there. Uh, so if there's a giant winnet sticking out, uh, yep. you just have to be careful that okay. it's not stuck to something sensitive. Uh, I don't have any strong views on, uh, you know, the, the winnet etiquette. Um, I'm relaxed around poo. You so have to be when you're a vet. Let me go back to your, can we go to your childhood now? Sure, yeah, I yeah. I feel I want to go there because... Well, got... mainly it's because we're talking about um, me being accustomed to um, having my hand up the posterior of an animal from a very young age. I think that's where you... Where, yeah, I think I think that because I, I lambed lambs and calved cows, yeah. I became accustomed to being pooed on from a very young age. I'm going to leave that poo bag right there. Uh, we've okay. got the poo under control. We're going for a little Come walk, on, Bubba. Kieran. Come on, Bub. So your childhood... Yeah, I got a really strong sense of it from your book and just what it was like growing up with the six of you weren't there or was it six siblings you had five five sorry five plus me five plus you so six in total and your mum rita and your yeah. dad sean yeah and he was a farmer yeah wasn't he yeah so if you described your childhood what's your abiding memory if you think of your childhood mine when i think of mine i think of bohemian chaos are the two words i would use um I think that my childhood was just a vocation of marriage to the land and the, and the animals. I lived in an igloo really for the first 11 years of my life uh, because it was a small rural Irish community so I wouldn't know what I didn't know and there weren't any outside influences that were bad in any way so I was very fortunate mm. um, but equally there was no outside influences that told me what the world was about. So it was all a big shock to me when the rest of life happened. I was really quite moved when you wrote about going to this school because you said, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And I found that quite powerful because it's that sense of going somewhere and feeling other, I suppose, and different and... You mean like an alien? Yeah. Yes. Was that how you felt? It was, a, it was kind of a posh boys school. Uh, well, was it, was, it, it wasn't posh. Uh, no, it wasn't posh, but it, it was a boarding school uh, for pupils from all over Ireland uh, that was required by local statute to take some day pupils mm -hmm. uh, from the local farming community or the local towns, of which I was one. Mm -hmm. um, but all of a sudden, in a single day, I was uh, thrust into a situation where for the first time in my life I was meeting boys that had had different life experiences. You know, they had a different education, uh, yeah. so they could spell better than me, read better than me, do maths better than me. Definitely uh, had done things like kiss girls, which was never on the agenda mm -hmm. uh, in any way, shape or form. Um, and I was just shocked, really, mm. initially, and that turned into a sense of trauma when they saw that I was indeed very different. Mm. And I became a very easy target for bullies because I was not only a culchy, which is a, a boy mean? from the countryside. Yeah, that's like an Irish expression, is it? Yeah, it means, uh, it means just um, somebody who's a bit of an idiot, uh, i.e. doesn't know very much, uh, which I most certainly was. Mm. Um, and I came from the countryside, whereas they came from, you know, rather more uh, socially adept uh, yeah. environments. And then on top of all of that, I was, I knew instantly that I'd have to study really hard to get anywhere. And I, 
I didn't know until that point, you know, what, what that was. So uh, they saw immediately that I was very different and uh, I was a SWAT, as they called it, which was somebody who just studied very hard, just picking up Kira's poo now <laughs> to bring it back, uh, which is a very important thing to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, on the subject of poo, they then uh, kicked the living daylights out of me every day and threw me in the quarry on most days mm. and threw me in the quarry full of poo where the uh, poo from the, f the uh, effluent from local yards and so forth was poured in the quarry so I ended up covered in various forms of grime uh, with ripped underpants and ripped trousers coming back into class but that's just how it was you know. But you say that's just how it was but that's pretty traumatic no? Well you know it is and it isn't in, in some ways I'm grateful because it it drove me uh, to want to do better and to be uh, to be stronger yeah. uh, and to uh, do the best job that I could in life because um, I remember going home and uh, my friend at that time was our, our sheepdog pirate. Oh um, yeah. So I just... You bonded, you formed a... that was your first real strong... Yeah it was my first real strong animal friendship because well, we friendship lived in... Well friendship it wasn't it in yeah. a way. We lived with a very functional attitude to animals because you live on a farm. With your dad, yeah. So every animal on the farm had to have a purpose and ostensibly Pirate's purpose was to herd sheep. But in, in my world, he was my companion, my oh. friend, my confidant. And I remember going And he's home. a collie, wasn't he? He was yeah. a, a, white, a black and white border collie, yeah. yeah. We should, we'll go, we're going to go in now. It's all right, Kira. we're going to go uh, in. Kira just doesn't like the rain. Uh, and as, as, she's got, as she's got older, uh, she's liked the rain less and less, actually. She's, uh, she's like, okay, I, I've, I've, I just want to go back and curl up on I a I mean, Kira, not only are we in the rain, but we're talking about Noel's old love. We're talking about his ex Oh uh, well, no, she, She's absolutely cool with that. <laughs> is she? She loves everybody regardless. Uh, it's a bit, it, you, it's not dumb to bring up the ex in front of her. Well, that, you know, come I, on. I actually completely disagree with that. I think you should absolutely air your dirty linen early <laughs> on. And uh, I think that you come to peace with that, you're done. There's no more, no more covert activity. I'm just going to pop, okay, I'm handing Kira. you this while I yes. go, and go to the poo bin. Yeah. And do my, uh, my moral do duty moral as a dog duty. daddy. So pirate was your... Well done, Bubba. Confidant. Yeah, Sorry, Kira, so pirate I again. would hang out with pirate in the cattle shed and... Um, and you had vet man. So that I was invented, your character, wasn't I it? I invented vet man really as, as a counter to the bullies. At that stage, it was just someone I could believe in. You know, I was an imaginary hero uh, whose nemesis was called the man with no name because I didn't think the bullies deserved a name because they never look in the mirror anyway. They just reflect their own, whatever their, their gripe is on you. That's the whole point. Projection, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. There, there isn't any bully that actually is able to look in the mirror. So he was the man with no name. Come on in, back in. Come on, Bubba. That's quite a sophisticated thought process at that age, isn't it? Well, mm. you not, might, not really, because I didn't know anything. So okay. probably I invented somebody who didn't have a name because uh, I didn't know very much. Yeah. Uh, but Vetman was a hero who was going to save me from all the bullies and was going to save all of the animals in the world. Bit wet. It's really wet. Yeah. Come on. Here we go. Good girl. Come on. We're back um, in Super Vet's office now. We're back in Noel's office. I'm looking at a picture of Rita and Sean. And it's on their wedding day, and it's in Noel's office, and it's the most adorable picture 
You really look like your dad, no? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do look like my dad. There's another picture of him there. Let's have a look. Well, I'm, I'm like my dad in many ways because he was a vocationalist farmer, so he um, he was never considered it a job. He just always considered that he was um, he he it was his vocation. Mm. And uh, you know, people talk to me about work and stuff, but at the end of the day, I never really consider it anything other than. This is my way of life. People often hear people interview you and they talk about why you're not settled down, you haven't got kids, you're not married and you're not in a relationship. And I kind of get a bit irritated, if I'm honest, when people do that. And the reason for that is that I think there are a lot of people that change the world and make a difference. And there's probably someone at home with two kids who never sees that person. So I would argue that what you've done is responsible up until now. That's my take on it anyway. Well, I think um, uh, it is possible to do both. I mean, Daddy was married to a very patient woman in, in Rita <laughs> uh, because he didn't even come and pick me up when I was born because <laughs> he was busy dehorning cattle. In fact, with that saw that's on the wall, um, that was the first injection syringe and tweezers that I used uh, ever as a, probably a 10, 11 year old trying to uh, pull arteries in the uh, horns of cattle when they were being sawed off and injecting local anaesthetic before they were sawed off. So those are my first surgical instruments right there. Um, but uh, I wouldn't recommend that you, you know you don't go and pick up your newborn son but anybody could drive a car and only he could dehorn the cattle um, which is you know fair enough. Um, so uh, yeah. I think um, the answer to your question is that uh, you know, Mammy was on the same journey as him. Yeah. And she had six. Uh, hilariously, I went to see her this this past weekend, and I I was talking to her about exactly this. Mm. And she's eighty nine now, and she said, "Well, look on the bright side, and all. At least he came home six times." <laughs> <laughs> Because she's got six kids. <laughs> so that is one very patient woman. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's just brilliant. That's oh. done, done. And that's it right there in one sentence. Yeah. Look on the bright side. Yeah. Oh, at least he came home six times. <laughs> um, so she was on the same journey. And yeah. uh, that, that's it. You know, if you're lucky enough to find someone that's on the same journey, then it's it, it doesn't really matter. Um, but um, to come back to what we were saying earlier, um, I think growing up on the farm, in, it definitely instilled a work ethic in me and a, and a way of behaving which wasn't complaining. You know, I feel very fortunate to do what I do by comparison being out in the rain, we've just been out in, you know, calving cows all day. That's a hard job. Mm, mm. And when I invented Vetman, um, he was gonna take on all of, all weathers and all um, bad people and all the ills of the animals in the world and he was going to be able for all of that and I'd like to say that I'm able for all of that but the reality is that I think criticism ultimately you know does affect me probably wouldn't does affect Vetman so much and um, do you I, mean I now that your head is personal. above the parapet as well your more exposed, I suppose, in that sense as well. It, it, for sure, you know, if you stick your head above the parapet, you're going to be the one that uh, that gets uh, the first eye of the storm. Um, and also, uh, the reason I'm impressed you read the book is that most people actually don't get the facts straight before they comment on anything. Mm. 
they just comment on some superficial remark that I've made somewhere completely out of context. I was impressed when I read the book because you, t you were really, I felt like you'd thought about stuff a lot. You'd assessed your life, I think, in quite an objective way. I might go surgeon's way. <laughs> when I decided to write the book, I did so because I thought it would be a good companion piece for the live tour because effectively the live tour is the book in, is it? in visual form. Uh, you know, everything from uh, losing my first lamb on a frozen field through to a cow pooing on my head through to the bionic bunker, that's all there. And um, I just want, because I was, I had decided to do that anyway, mm. I thought that it was a good idea off the back of all the letters I was getting from kids. I mean, there's a big pile on the desk in there uh, of letters from kids that I get um, all the time. Uh, I was just in Dublin and just a little girl just push this in my hand. I haven't actually opened Aww. it yet, but this is typically what I get. So I should say, Noel's just, o it's a pink envelope, and he's just opening it now, and it's a card. And what does it say, Noel? It says, uh, I've literally just opened it. So this was thrust into my hand in, in Dublin, and it says, thank you so much for looking after all the animals. Thank you, Lovella. And I, just some little girl who just uh, put a card in my hand and, and so drew some pictures on it. But they, I got hundreds and thousands of letters from kids all over the world that yeah. have watched the program and I couldn't answer the questions they were asking me in every letter because they would say, I know you don't have much time, but could you answer these 75 questions? Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I've got to go into the next operation. So I put 75 questions multiplied by however many letters and tried to answer as many of them as I could in, in the live show mm. and take people and kids, uh, adults and kids on a journey. And in fact, in the shows we've had from six to 96 mm. uh, in the audience and what's been remarkable is uh, their response to sometimes heavy science actually, which is really interesting because what mm. I wanted to do was take them through from very simple times of growing up on a farm in Ireland and going through school and every night just people go mental with laughter when two things happen, which I'm not gonna ruin for you. And, and it, it just the whole place erupts in laughter and I know it's gonna happen because yeah. I lived through it and it was funny to me at the time but to go from that to some pretty heavy science mm. in, in the second half uh, into Vetman's Bionic Bunker where everything, well more or less everything becomes possible and we ask some big ethical and moral questions right. about the fact that just because it's possible doesn't make it morally the right thing to do. It needs to be in the patient's best interest. And then sure. I thought it would be really useful to look at what a dog who has be been man's friend for somewhere between 10 and 15,000 years might think of the world we've created today. I mean, how a dog looking around the political or the mm. cultural or the uh, socioeconomic or the sexual landscape of the United Kingdom or America or China, what would they think of the world we've created mm. anywhere in the world? And uh, I thought that would be a fascinating starting point. Uh, so it's a dog's eye view on man's voyage and what world we've created and what world we might like to create in the future and what would man's best friend think of us they'd probably go, what are you doing? <laughs> woof, woof. Um, uh, like, dropping bombs on each other, are you mental? <laughs> you know, segregating, separating. And uh, just, um, I think that dogs are all inclusive, so they don't segregate mm. and separate, and they love you unconditionally, and regardless of whether you're uh, poor, rich, uh, Whatever your colour is, whatever your mm. sexuality is, when you come into my consulting room, you're equal. Right. 
And that's very leveling mm. if you think about it. And I knew that when I was starting out and I knew it when I was writing the show and I knew it when I was writing the book. I wanted everybody to feel equal when they're reading the book or seeing the show and to look at things from a less polarized point of view mm -hmm. and to take the light away at the end of the book, which was brought to us by the animals, uh, which is the light that I wished upon when I was an 11 year old kid looking up at the stars in heaven when I lost that first lamb, feeling useless in a frozen field in Ireland, you know? And I wanted to give that light that I yearned for to everybody, regardless of their age, because everybody's had a big dream, everybody's yeah. had a, a goal, but life kicks it out of you. So. Well, do you think also it's interesting that you talk about in the show about the dog's perspective on things and talk about when you were 11 and that dream you had. And I sort of think I've got a dog and I, what I found the real learning experience is there is a kind of purity. It's almost like if you look at people as having an essence, essentially, and then life is what happens in between and you're, you get scared. You, you get frightened and you think, I won't do that. And you build up an armour. And dogs don't have that. Yeah, well... For sure, the starting point for me in doing any of the media I've ever done, whether it's Bionic Vet, whether it's Super Vet, whether it's the book or whether it's the live show, is that I wanted everybody to come on a journey with me, and you can't do that with mm. heavy science. I don't think that anybody wants to access heavy science except through something that is emotionally important to them, and I don't think you can change the world like I would like to do and make it fairer for animals and more uh, compassionate society if you don't get access somehow. So if you want to shine a light on anything, you have to get your foot in the door. You have to get a chink of light through that door or otherwise nothing will change. And mm. the only way you can do that, and I knew this when I was a teenager, I rapidly became aware through, st through actually reading De Profundis and, and other books yeah. by great authors, I rapidly learned that the quickest way to change things is through people's hearts, not their minds. So when I set out to make the show, I set out to make a show about love and hope. I didn't set out to make a show about science. Right. But yeah. in opening that door, people are genuine. They don't, they don't balk at the operations or the science as much as they would if you didn't have the emotional journey. And then what I'd like to do is take that landscape where you care about an animal in your home to a landscape where we care about an animal in their home. Yeah. I mean the hedgehogs, 95% of which has gone in the last 50 years. I mean the rhinoceroses. I mean the various animals throughout the world that mm. we, through our selfishness, have uh, realmed into extinction or are close to extinction. And that's our moral responsibility, and that's happening on my watch. 50% of all vertebrate species on Earth are gone in the 50 years of my life. And is that when you set out initially after you left university and was that your sense, do you think? Was that what, when you thought I'm going to be a vet, was that why you did it? I did it because I wanted to fix animals. Yeah. And then I, I got very frustrated and I knew I would get frustrated with um, a lack of progress and lack of being able to really change things when I knew all the time the progress was being made in experimental animals for human benefit. So in 1946, the first shoulder replacement was done in a dog to help humans have shoulder replacements. And actually, the only reason the dog was alive for five or six years was the guy who did the experiment went off to war mm. uh, in early 1940s. And therefore, the experiment that was supposed to last six months to a year lasted five or six years. 
and the dogs lived longer. So we knew that shoulder replacements worked. But yet in the mid-noughties, vets are still saying you can't do sh shoulder replacements, not possible in dogs. Well, hang on a minute. What happened for the last 70 years? Mm. Have we not learned anything? So the reality, the truth is that we get what we want from uh, experimental animals in drugs and implants, but we don't give that back. And yeah. that's been the way for the last 250 years. So that became rapidly apparent to me as I studied that it wasn't fair. And we weren't treating clinical animals that really needed a solution for that cancer in that bone mm. uh, that I'm holding up for you. Or no holding up a bone for me, by the way. Yeah, and it's a really ruffled bone. And mm. that cancer, that bone cancer there, mm -hmm. is uh, very, very similar to the bone cancer in a child. In fact, you're more likely, if you put a dog and a child side by side, with bone cancer, osteosarcoma, mm. they are more likely to have a, s a similar ge genetic map than two children because the, and, and the, the reason for that is, is that the genome of, or the genetic makeup of bone cancer is remarkably similar between the dog and the child. Uh, so my point is that why are we not treating bone cancer in dogs and children at the same time? We're mm. not because for 250 years, we've got into a pattern where the animals serve us, we've never given it back. Yeah, and my I see that. My life's purpose is to reconverge that. And I, when I hear you talk like that, I, you know, I get a sense of well, I always get a sense of how passionate you are, and I think everyone does. And I think that's why, you know, you set up this practice. Was it, was it sort of twelve, thirteen years ago, something? Uh, like no, that? well, we the initial Fitzpatrick referrals um, moved into its first independent building in 2004-2005. Right, okay. And then we moved here in 2008. Yeah. And my goal was to build Avengers Assemble. You know, my goal was to build a, a band of superheroes that would be super specialists and would um, would take care of all of the animals' ailments. Because it's no, I don't think it's in the next 20 years people are going to expect vets to be able to do everything. I mean, mm. historically, you've gone to your vet and you've expected them to mend a broken bone, open the abdomen and take out a spleen and fix a skin problem and ear mites. Mm. Well, how can I be a specialist in mending bones and know everything about ear mites? I can't. And yet, uh, yesterday in Dublin, I got asked maybe 40 questions about skin problems, eye problems and ear mites. What uh, by meant by people on your... Just people when I was signing the book. Yeah. And I don't... That's absolutely fine. No problem. But with total respect, I'm not qualified to answer that question because I haven't dealt with that for 15 to 20 years. Well, and there are other people who are more qualified to answer that question. So that's the whole point in building yeah. Avengers. And you must also have a thing, I would imagine... Doctors get it anyway who aren't, but you're a celebrity now. I don't know how you feel about that word. But I don't even think about that word. Do you I not? mean, it's not like I hang out in a celebrity landscape, is it? I have a student bed set. I'm sucking a, a throat lozenge. I'm not sipping a pina colada by a pool, which is fine. I mean, if that's what you want, great. But I definitely don't consider myself a celebrity. You were first on telly before Supervet. There was, it was the Bionic, Bionic vet, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 2010, yeah. And that was... Your first brush with this whole yeah. world, I suppose. Yeah. How did that feel when that happened? Did that feel like well, a change for you, or did that feel... Well, I, I'll put that into a microcosm for you. When we did Bionic Vet in 2010, and Oscar was the world's first patient of any kind to our knowledge that had skeleton-anchored bionic limbs 
in two legs at the same time. Uh, so he was in the Himalayan Times and the Irish Times. I didn't even mm. know there was a Himalayan Times. No. But, um, but he was, and a picture says a thousand words. So mm. I'm being interviewed by some uh, American radio station uh, down the line, and they're going, oh my goodness, you're you know, creating these bionic this and bionic that's some absolutely amazing <laughs> Professor Fitzpatrick, and I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, it's just an implant attached to a skeleton. And my next interview was with Leash Radio, which is the county I grew up in in okay, Ireland. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, w I grew up in a place called Ballyfin in, in County Leash, Republic yeah. of Ireland. And his opening gambit was, so Noel, tell me how long has it been now since you've had your arm up the back end of a cow? <laughs> and so that, that was Bionic Vet. You know, it was going from the uh, sublime to the ridiculous. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, I was only a few years divorced from having my arm up the back end of a cow because in 1994, I, I still had my arm up the back end of a cow. And that was only six years previous. Because you were a rural vet initially. Yeah, I w well, I was a large animal vet, yeah. Yeah, which, which I guess... And then you went to America, and then, this is my favourite thing, you were in Casualty and Heartbeat, which is my favourite Noel Fitzpatrick fact. Uh, well, I made an active decision that I needed to know how to use communication. I wouldn't be able to talk to you uh, as if we were having a normal conversation yeah. without having gone through all of that. Mm. And I knew I wouldn't. So I went, I actively sought out uh, a drama course, partly because the greatest times of my life had been spent discovering great literature, because that made me feel less stupid as a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, and it helped me to cope with the bullies. Mm. And um, secondly, I knew the vet man, if he was going to make a real difference in the world and actually make a difference to all the animals and have a legacy that said we gave animals a fair deal at the end of his life on earth although vetman was eternal so yeah. he has a <laughs> I'm, I'm still working on that <laughs> i knew i would need to learn how to communicate it's weird that surgeon's thing isn't it because you need that rational head science head but then you need the bedside manner thing I often say this to my interns and my residents that I am lucky enough to work with or train. I say, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And they don't. You could be the best surgeon in the world and sit by the side of their animal and them and hold their hand or their paw. And they don't care if you're not a nice person. Mm -hmm. Because I can have done 15 years of training and be super capable. But if you don't care, if you're not, and I totally disagree with divorcing emotion from medicine. Do you? I absolutely disagree. And one of the papers, and I never say the word proud, because if you've read the book, you'll mm. know that Mammy said pride takes a fall and Daddy mm. never really used the word pride. So I have real difficulties around that word because I never indulge in you know, m my successes or my fame in men's mouths, because that's all nonsense and I'm gonna die anyway. So I'd much prefer to think of it in terms of is it something I'm, ha I'm contributing to the world? And one of the papers that I can say I'm proud of, and I've written hundreds of papers. Look, here's... Noel's if I, out his papers. If I put this... No, I'm, I'm taking out some... <laughs> like, let's say I put that What's on the desk, right? Vet record. Doors are... Right, so you're, you're going to be an avid reader of veterinary and comparative orthopaedics and traumatology, I would imagine. No, I want to read benchmarking antimicrobial use on farms. Yeah, well, you're one of the few people in the world that do want to read uh, <laughs> that uh, particular article. So Guess my what? I don't really. My, no, 
So my point being <laughs> that if I open the inside of, of veterinary surgery here and talk about um, the, let me just see what might be, uh, accuracy of patient-specific 3D printed drill guides for the placement of cervical transpedicular uh, trans screws, right? Mm. Whoa, what an interesting read that's going to be. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Let me, oh, it's a, it's an, uh, it's a page turner. Oh, look, there's a coloured picture with little spots on it. Ooh, that probably is away and back from your eyes. <laughs> it's like one of those pictures that goes in and out of focus. I think I can see a zebra. Um, that is not what you're going to read. So I knew... That I, and I'm not wishing in any way, shape or form to be mm. disparaging because science is really, really, really important. And I yeah. still publish. I had a paper accepted yesterday to that journal there, Comparative Orthopedics and Traumatology, because you can't drive a Ferrari without an engine. If you're going to have a Ferrari that's all sh you know, shiny on the outside but has no engine, well, it's not going to drive anywhere, is it? Mm. So you have to have the science to drive that. But nobody wants to look necessarily in the engine. They want to sit in the Ferrari and drive it. So what people want to know is do I care and what does that mean? Mm. So I was lucky enough to be involved in a paper with a wonderful ethicist called Anne Gallagher from the University of Surrey and the paper is about the value of love in a medical uh, world and in an increasingly tetchy, inverted commas, world where people are afraid even to give you a hug. And, and I, actually I've been criticised... You're, you're a hugger. Uh, yeah, mm. I'm a big hugger, but I've been criticised on social media for giving people too many hugs. What does he think he's doing? He's invading people's space. I mean, come on, get a life. If people don't want to hug, they can say, please don't hug me. You mean people that have watched Supervet and your style on Supervet, which is in, I think it's series 12 now, which is on at the moment. I love it. And there is something weird about my dog. He does respond to it. I don't know what it is. I do a little thing. I go, Supervet's on. So he knows. It's the Irish accent and the <laughs> fact that he knows that I care. But my point about love is yeah. that you should, there needs to be a landscape where it's, it's possible to emotionally care about your patient, well, whether that's human or animal. And I'm not saying emotionally involved with your patient. That's a different thing. Mm. I'm saying emotionally connect and emotionally care, empathy, compassion, uh, understanding from that person's point of view what they're going through with cancer or that animal's point of view. That's what I'm talking about. And I think that because we tick boxes to do exams, it's very difficult to examine love. Yeah. And how are you going to do that? It's so subjective. And in any case, we're in a litigious society where if you fail an exam, you can appeal. So we can't examine that in the university system. And yet, that's the single most important trait, I think, yeah. of a surgeon. Because well, I would hire people any day on the size of their heart rather than their head. You say the family, don't you, which I like, not the owner with dogs. Well, I insisted with Channel 4 at the outset that we use the word family and not owner. I've never used the word owner. And initially, there was some pushback on that. Mm. And I said, no, if we're going to do this, we're going we're gonna to call them mum and dad. And, and some people also balk at that. We get that uh, as well. And the whole point of doing that was to embrace with our terminology, again it comes back to communication, the essence of why an animal in a family is important because that is a bond of friendship, solidarity and integrity and it's not a bond of ownership. You know I find that quite confusing sometimes, that idea of there is a school of thought with training and the whole concept of obedience which I worry about the soul crushing aspect of that sometimes. I think there's a fine line and I don't know what you feel about that and whether, I know again that's not your area so I'm not asking you to be Caesar Milan, I'm not saying oh he's a dog man, but what, what do you think about that? I mean in terms of animal souls being allowed to sing openly if you like. Well all I'm going to say is that 
I realized from a very early age that animals do communicate. Whether we understand their language or not is another thing entirely. So Vetman purposely wasn't Dr. Doolittle. He didn't talk to the animals, he listened to the animals, which is why the book's called Listening to the Animals. Um, and it's about actually communicating with them and being in their space rather than thrusting your will upon them. Ah, Super Vet's phone, he's going to get it. Listen. Hello. Oh, uh, thanks. Bye. What, who was that? That no. was my receptionist Same. saying that uh, I, was, I was in Dublin yesterday to sign a few books and uh, we were driving between two interviews and a swan mistook the, the canal for the road because it was lashing rain, so the rain was streaming down the road. So the swan landed on the road about five cars behind us uh, and then tried to scupper around and, and there was a truck that narrowly avoided the swan. Then there was a taxi that almost hit it and screeched on the brakes, and then a motorbike that swerved. And I look back, and I'm like, <laughs> and I shouted to the guy who was driving the cab, turn around now. And he's like, mate, I can't, uh, or, or um, I can't, because yeah. he was a Dubliner, so he wouldn't have said mate. <laughs> he just said, I can't, uh, and some choice other phrases, uh, which could only be said in Dublin. And uh, anyway, he did, because I made him. So he turned around and I went back and stopped the traffic and, and tried to push, scurry this swan into an area where I could get him out of the traffic. I have to admit at this point, it, you're saying this like it went absolutely viral. I saw this on social oh, media. You? Yes. And you're doing a brilliant thing, which is you're using your, you've got like a tweed jacket on. Yeah. And you're using it to sort of usher the swan away. And then you do the sweetest thing at the end. I mean, I'm telling you what you did, but it was, you say, it's okay, mate. It's okay, you're going to be okay. It's the most adorable thing. And you've got him back to safety. Yeah, well, the thing about it was lucky I had that tweed jacket on because I had it off for a television interview and it was <laughs> perfect. Because uh, when, when you're rescuing a swan, you have to try and make them uh, feel that secure to the point that they feel, okay, there's no point in fighting this. Uh, I'm going to have to trust it one way or the other. And, and that means uh, we, we, we brought, uh, I, I ushered the swan off this busy road in, in Donnybrook in Dublin, which was rammed and there was rain everywhere and there was pandemonium. And then uh, I got it into a garden and threw the coat over because swans, when they can't see a clear flight path, yeah. uh, they put their head down. So I knew that the two things were to control the body and control the head and make the swan feel secure. So the coat was perfect mm. and uh, was much more useful than on the television interview, I have to say. Um, so uh, I, 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 got, I was very good because my assistant had bought me this jacket for the television interview because I don't go shopping. And he said, and I'm thinking, like, it's an excellent swan catching jacket. <laughs> And uh, it, that's what they're going to market it as. It, it, the it swan should jacket. be the swan catcher uh, for the, the, for swan safety, swan safety garment. Yes. <laughs> so who was that on the phone? So that was my receptionist saying, can, you, can is there any way that uh, we can uh, um, <laughs> limit the number of calls from people who are taking up the phone line uh, saying, oh, it's wonderful about the swan. Uh, so, because uh, she's trying to answer uh, busy calls on, uh, you know, various animals that need help. And do you have that lot, Nola? People just calling all the time saying, I want, like kids, you were saying, they get in touch, obviously. But do people just call up and say, I want to speak to the supervisor? Well, they're, they're ringing because they just want to say congratulations on, but I mean, that's, that's beautiful and, that nice? and lovely. Actually, my receptionist just now was, was, um, was being uh, so very humorous because she didn't actually mean, can we stop people calling? She, she meant was, it's nice that yeah, people are ringing. It's in. lovely that they're calling. And um, I have a question for you, Nola, as well. Are you, you're a hugger. 
And we've talked about that, I call it the anaesthetist gene, which I know is not strictly what you do, but it's an ability to park your emotion. And I get the sense sometimes just from watching you on telly, which I know isn't always entirely accurate, but you, you do not get involved, but you care, as you say. Do you cry a lot? Like, do you cry when you have to end an animal's life, for example? Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I do cry, um, especially if I've got to know the family and the animal uh, well. And I would say to people, you know, don't be afraid of your emotions. You know, it's, I think it's okay. Supervet's given us so much time and he's actually got surgery to do because this is a working... Yeah, Jay's here to do a total elbow practice. replacement. Really? Uh, so how many, so have you got, um, how many patients... Will you see in a day? Well, we're just going to take a very quick tour now and I'll show you. Ah, oh, brilliant. Hiya. Morning. Hi. Morning. Oh, missing dogs. What's wrong with this one? Uh, guys, vomit, please, vomit. We're going into right. a room with loads of dogs. Morning, mate. Hello, gorgeous. Actually, we probably better not come in here because there's dogs recovering. We'll go into the other ward. There's all these dogs in here. It's really lovely we here, Noel, though, because it feels... Sorry, mate. It's very, um... I know you don't call them kennels either, do you? But it feels... No, it's... It feels uh, very homely, if that makes wards, sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I they don't they don't get as distressed as they would with bars. Yeah. So we have Perspex screens, and uh, we don't have any bars, and they have radio in there, and the corner kennels have... Uh, oh, I <laughs> love this place. It's so lovely. The corner kennels have television. The, uh, so, yeah, they just write on the door what's happening that day. And they've put little notes, day. which I like. Oh, look yeah. at the Labrador. Morning. Here's a question. Do you ever lose your temper? You seem a very good-natured person. I don't lose my temper. What? When there's do no, you then? There's no... Uh, except for frustration with myself. When, hello, Laura. Morning. Laura, no. what, what, is it, what is it like uh, being a veterinary nurse? Do you get, ever get emotionally attached to the patients? Too many times. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Keeps you up at night. Think really? About you think about it on holidays? Yeah, stop thinking about it. I was in Tenerife for a week. Really? I was thinking about our away papers. You do realise that we're on radio, by the way. Uh, as, long as, <laughs> as, long as, as long as you're okay with that. Oh, yeah. This isn't made up. I just cornered her in a corner and asked her cause, <laughs> because the, pe the, people, the people in greeny blue yeah. are the veterinary nurses. Oh, so, wh wh who were you thinking about when you were on holiday? Uh, one in particular, a dog called Robbie McGovern. He's, a, a He's got a surname. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I was only thinking about him today as well, actually, reading up in his file. How do you both cope, though? I'd just be crying seven times a day. Do you just have to park it? No, you find ways of dealing with it. Like, I'm, I've taken a, a page out of Noel's book and just forced myself into the gym. I thought you were going to say a tranquilizer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm very heavy. Laura, Laura, <laughs> Laura works on my team a lot, so oh, she really? sees some very challenging cases yeah and when Laura first came she was just uh, in bits after most cases and yeah. I found you crying one day didn't I yeah we were both crying yeah we were both crying well, I now the truth's that. coming yeah. I'm trying to be well, hard now no, that, that was on the superbed that was yes that was, that was on air was that Bella yeah right yeah. yeah yeah we were both in bits uh, in fact that dog is in the, in the book in the show but not in the book Oh, really? um, and uh, it's a story of failure, actually. And we tried really, 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 really hard. Mm. But in, and then um, we used some of the most advanced technology in the world, but we still yeah. failed. And um, yeah, that's when it's hardest. When, when Laura was getting deeply emotional, the difficulty is 
still making rational decisions in the midst of that emotion and decisions that are in the patient's best interest because you can't ever get so emotionally involved that it sways your judgment because it has mm -hmm. to be a decision that's made in the patient's best interest and the reason that Laura and I were crying on that day was we had to put Bella to sleep and it was heartbreaking but it was the right thing to do mm. uh, because we reached the end of the line in terms of being able to give quality of life so I said to Laura that she has to, I think I said to you that uh, you need to find a way to um, feel that very deeply but at the same time find a coping mechanism so her coping mechanism is now the same as me she goes up and punches a bag in the gym <laughs> up there taking <laughs> on CrossFit yeah, yeah. do you have a gym here? yeah, yeah it's yeah. up here that's amazing so you have the gym. So do you do you work out? About midnight, yeah. Do you? Yeah. I can see you in here at midnight, and this is where you get rid of all your. It's good for that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's important to have an outlet. So. Do you ever suffer? I mean, you touched on this a bit in the book, but do you ever suffer from dark thoughts? Uh, no, I think that, as I said to Laura, um, the nurse. Uh, it's really, really important in a very stressful job to be able to still look after yourself. And I built this gym so that everybody here has access to it. And they can put a picture of me on that bag if they wish and, uh, <laughs> and punch it like you do with Frank Skinner. After Saturday mornings uh, in the afternoon, you can find me here punching a bag with Frank's face on it. <laughs> Uh, we should say, um, Noel was saying how much he loved Frank. I well, love you respect him, you said. I actually, I, I actually uh, yeah, I'm joking, Frank, because I, I, uh, I have massive admiration for you, and I joke about my face on the bag as well, because that doesn't actually happen. <laughs> they, the nurses tell it to me straight, let me tell you. Uh, and I'm sure that Emily tells it to you straight as well. What do you, you were saying, what do you respect about Frank? Well, I, I think that what, what's, uh, actually the reason the most, the biggest reason that I respect Frank is that he's able to access and uh, deliberate very complex subjects through humor and that's kind of akin to what I try to do is to access really complex um, medical and scientific subjects through uh, compassion and, and love. Mm. And I think if you can access it through people's hearts, it's much easier to, than to access through their minds. So mm. if he's using humor to self-deprecate or to just throw a quip at something, then immediately you're interested. So he then can give you five reasons that you should be interested, which you didn't know before you are interested. And that's a rare quality, I think, in a broadcaster. And I've, I've listened to him for years. So I'm going to give Emily a hug now, Frank, for you. Um, and she's going to, even though I'm a bit sweaty, <laughs> uh, she's, going to, she's going to bring that back home to you and give you a massive hug from me. You're absolutely right, though. And I think, you know, I was telling you a piece of sort of romantic advice he'd given me, and I've always remembered it because it's funny. So you store information yeah, like that yeah, away. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, it does remind me, I suppose, of what you're doing. It's kind of... The way well, you I think communicate that, that difficult information, yeah. some complex information. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. And you allude to, you know, uh, the, the mental challenges of doing that. Um, yes. Uh, I'm sure that Frank and anybody who's been in the public eye for as long as he has uh, will have ups and downs and ins and outs. But just like in medicine, you have to cope with the ups and downs and not take yourself too seriously. Because if you listen too much to the praise or the criticism, ultimately you lose your way. You treat and those I, two imposters just the same. Well, I, 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 I think at the end of the day, that lucky, luckily for me, I've got the dogs to keep me uh, sane and level. And Frank has uh, you. Uh, so that's all fair <laughs> in the world. <laughs> no, cats in I know, we don't talk about any clients because that's confidential and it's privileged information. But yeah. 
Am I right in saying we can say the Queen is a fan? I will say that. Uh, the Queen is a fan. I will leave that to your opinion. <laughs> I had a question for you as well, which was I spent time in an intensive care unit, a human one, and I remember one of the consultants said to me, he said, people always talk about living in the now, but they never do. He said, this is the only place where you ever do it. And I thought that, and it all stayed with me that. He said, because you say, how are they today? How is this happening? You don't talk about yesterday or tomorrow. And I think, do you think that gives you, working in this environment all the time, a sort of carpe diem approach to life? Yeah, it gives you a perspective on what's important and what isn't, because we know that we're all passing through and... Are you frightened of dying? Not at all. Come with me and I'll show you the end. <laughs> wow. So, and other things I never expected to see today. So I'm probably going to end uh, my uh, career. So down there is offices. So this is the new building. But when you uh, say I'll show you the end, do you mean where you plan to die? Hopefully. And uh, they, I told them not to stop the operation, by the way. <laughs> Just carry on. I'll have you trained well enough by then to uh, just carry on without me. Wheel me over to the corner, and then I'm going to suspend my body face down with moving eyeballs and a recorded voice that if they flip a switch or say the wrong thing during surgery, I go, what are you doing? So you want, you want to die so, yeah. doing what you love, which yeah, is so in there. operating. That's where you're going to die. There, there's, my, uh, there's my passing away. Really? Uh, so welcome to the end uh, <laughs> and the beginning, the alpha and the omega. Morning, Mark. People don't seem scared of you here. You know, not when the boss comes round. Charlene, are you scared of me? Yeah. <laughs> Good job, this Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is the doggy pool yeah, and this is for the rehabilitation. The yeah. yeah. They, they, in fact, this is the happiest place in the practice because every animal in here is recovering. Yeah. Do you ever uh, go in here? They get a, you're not allowed in because you might get poo in your mouth. Uh, so you've got to be careful with that. Uh, so uh, only certified people who are certified not to eat poo, can, can, coprophagy is not allowed in there. They have t-shirts that says, I am not coprophagy. <laughs> My Back pleasure. in Noel's office, we're going to finish the chat now. I want to say it's been an incredible experience. I just can't believe what it's like here. And Noel is quite an extraordinary person, I have to say. And everything you see on Supervet, you just have a, an aura. He's with Kira at the moment, who we should say is named after Kira Knightley, because Noel is a fan. She's having a lick on the nose there. It's all good. Quite Give smelly. that to Frank Skinner as well. Quite smelly yeah. she is, yeah, well in she, a lovely way. She, uh, she uh, doesn't mind. In fact, she'd prefer if you smelled too. Are you ready to smile, Kira? <laughs> Bye, Supervet. We love you and you're changing the world and you're a good person. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>